Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be discussing the books that we're looking forward to reading the rest of the summer, the things that we really want to get to. We have a bit of a pickle that we are just going to solve by, I don't know, we won't have as many episodes as we normally would over the course of the summer. We're going to be playing things a little bit more loosely because as it turns out, our vacations that we're taking are back to back. They're not consecutive in any way. Like I'm going to be away the week before Gail is awake, away for two weeks. So I think it's just going to be too hard to try to coordinate recording. So what we're going to do is just record a little bit less this summer. We're going to do what we can. We'll do what we can. Please subscribe so that you will know when we can drop an episode and things will get back to normal more in the fall. But, you know, we've both got a couple of vacations coming up, itching to get out of the house. We've got like college visits. So there's quite a bit going on this summer. And I'm still adjusting, quite frankly, to being back in the office and getting my routine together there. So I kind of feel like I'm running in all directions. So we just want to let you know what's going on and why you might not be hearing from us as frequently as normal. Yes, summer. It's all good. (laughs) It's a good problem to have. Yeah. So what have you been up to? What have you been reading? Okay. I finished the new Jennifer Weiner book that summer, which is not necessarily what I was expecting it to be. It is not a like light beachy summer read, despite the cover and the title and the author. I feel like she kind of does that though. Does she really have light books? Well, her last one, Big Summer which starts out kind of like a light friendship book and then actually turns into a bit of a murder mystery thriller type book. It was still pretty light by the end. I mean, it wasn't like a deep book. This one is really different because this one is basically about Me Too and sexual assault and identity and male toxic masculinity. It's definitely a heavier and more agenda-driven book, I think, than her at least the ones I've read. I have not read that many of her books. Sounds like it has everything. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. It was maybe a little too long in a few places, kind of repetitive. So just from like a craft perspective. And I also read an arc. So I don't know if she tightened it up a little bit between the arc and the finished copy. Although I read some reviews and it seems like the same issue was in the finished copy. I think that they just tell people for the most part that things may change in the arcs, but they normally don't. I mean, yeah, they fix some typos and stuff. Maybe they will get those in a second pass. Yeah. So I liked it. It was compelling and thought provoking. And I mean, there were, you know, I have some nitpicks here and there, but generally I like that one. And I also just finished this book. It's kind of a weird book called The Less They Know About Us by Axton Betts Hamilton. And what this book is, a memoir, and it is about this girl who grows up in Indiana with her parents. And when she's young, money's always tight. They're always kind of dealing with financial crises and issues happening at home. Then their identity gets stolen when she's young. And so they live in this kind of world of paranoia with like the drapes drawn in the dark. They don't, she's not allowed to see other people, have friends, do things out of the house. They become very insular and very protective of their kind of the family cocoon. And 
their identity gets stolen and it kind of dogs her for years. Like she can't buy a car and she can't open credit cards because her credit score is shot because of all this identity theft. And so her life becomes this quest to figure out who did it and why did they do it. Is this nonfiction? Yeah, it's nonfiction. Oh, I think I heard a podcast where this woman talks about this and I know who did it. (laughs) Right. Okay. So we won't say who did it, but you know, eventually she does get to the bottom of it and tries to figure out, you know, what happened. But by that point, like her life was very, very affected by this. She's like a professor of consumer science and she has a crusade exactly about identity theft. So this was my blow dry book. Although the second, I would say the last third, I just read it straight because I kind (laughs) of wanted to finish it. But it was interesting. It was like, it was a really interesting book. It's not like an uplifting book. Yeah, I remember hearing her talk about this. Her credit starts getting affected when she's really young because they're targeting the entire family and it's like no one really goes unscathed. No one is safe. Yeah, I mean, like all you need is her social security number and off to the races. So I won't say much more because I don't want to spoil anything. But if you're interested in, you know, family memoirs about, you know, difficult upbringings and, you know, stuff like that. I think this could be a a good pick. Yeah. She basically devoted her entire life to figuring out who was behind it. And yeah, now she's a professor. How about you? So I have not been reading that much, but I did just finish The Guest List by Lucy Foley. I had read another book of hers. She seems to like writing these in these um, locked room mysteries. They usually take place Her last one was at a swanky resort. This one is everyone is invited to this island, this Italian island that has all of this history of bogs and maybe they're being bones buried in it. It's ancient. And a couple decides to hold their wedding there. He is a successful reality star show. He has like this survival wilderness show and she runs a lifestyle magazine. So their wedding is a bit of a to-do and they invite friends of the bride and groom to come the night before, you know, like for the rehearsal dinner and the bride's sister comes, her best friend comes and her best friend is a guy, brings his wife. And the groom has a bunch of buddies who are going to be the ushers at his wedding that he invites over and he's known a lot of them from boarding school. And you know pretty quickly in the beginning that his, you know, the bride-to-be has gotten this note, this mysterious note that she should not marry her husband because she doesn't, or not her husband, her fiance. They should not get married because she doesn't really know who he is. He's not who he says he is. And you find out right away that something happens like before or just right after the wedding has taken place, like um, a body is found. So it is all about who had a motivation to kill someone at this wedding and no one as they seem. Everyone's grappling with secrets from the sister to the best friend to this group of guys who are the ushers at this wedding because they all have this kind of dark history that goes back to the boarding school that they attended. So that one was pretty good. I think the first one that I read was set in a hotel where a group of people go to, I don't know if they're having their annual meeting and then things start happening, but I really didn't like that book, but I really like this one better. I think her first book that I read was The Hunting Party, but it seems like she has more grip on this. Like I thought the characters were more interesting. And I think because there was more of a sense of intrigue, like you slowly get to unpeel some layers about each of the guests. So I really like this one. I'm actually reading it 
for a vacation that I'm taking, like a bunch of girls and I are getting together and going to Boston. Actually, one lives there and then I have a couple other friends there. So we're all do a little bit of a girl's trip. And we had said that we were going to read a book together. So this was the book that we picked because we wanted something that would be accessible for everyone to read and get into, you know, when you're trying to pick something that is across taste. So this was our pick for that. So I liked it. So I'm looking forward to hearing what hearing what they say. I'm driving up with one of the girls. So hopefully I'm going to have to try. We won't discuss it in the car so that we can do it in a bigger group. Have you started reading anything? Did you say that? You told us a couple weeks finished. I'm sort of flailing. I have one of those, like, I've just finished. I'm listening to Malibu Rising. So that I would say I'm like two thirds of the way through that. And I don't know. I'm in that, like, I having trouble, like, settling down on a book. I mean, this has been like the last 24 hours, but I'll pick something. Certainly by the end of the day, I'll have something picked. Do you know what kind of mood you're in? No, that's the problem. I don't know. I may read The Other Black Girl. Oh, I started that. Oh, should I read it? I started that, you know, and at first, because this is my other girlfriend that I read a bunch of books with. And this summer, we have just decided that we're on thrillers. Like we didn't want to read anything too serious. So when I read the first couple of chapters, I kind of said to her, I was like, I don't know, maybe we should read this in September because I didn't want to do anything heavy, but it is really more of a thriller. You know how I have my things that just kind of bother me, like people being in captivity or whatever. So this one is kind of like job menace, like things are happening. It seems like someone is either sabotaging her or trying to get her fired, which I know was part of the description, but it was just feeling heavy. But now they've introduced a couple of more characters and like there's this backstory that takes place in 1983. So I'm not feeling that as heavily. And now I'm like a quarter of the way through. I probably need to tell her that I think it's okay to read. (laughs) So I just started it and I'm in that 1983 prologue part and I'm confused because it's, they're mentioning names that haven't been introduced yet. You know, it's all kinds of foreshadowing. That's one of my pet peeves. I don't like when there's a chapter that assumes all kinds of knowledge that you don't have yet because you've just started the book. That always turns me off. Yeah. I think it's trying to put menace forward. Like something has happened. You know, this woman is on the train, she's fleeing, and they're basically trying not to give you any type of information, probably so that you don't draw any parallels when you meet the modern characters. The 1983 people, I will say, do pop up again. No, that's fine. All right. I'll push through. I think this is probably where I'm going to settle. Right. I get you. I feel you. Because I did just the first two, three chapters of this book. I was like, I don't know if I'm up for this kind of menace right now or this kind of uncertainty too. All right. Well, we'll see if I stick with it. (laughs) Before we get into the summer, did you see that our boyfriend's uh, summer reading list is out? Oh, yes. Yes. Originally, we had a different idea for recording this morning. So we weren't going to be able to discuss it because it would not have aired soon, but now we can. Yeah. All right. So this is the Barack Obama summer reading list for 2021. Do you want me to just read it off? It's not that long. Okay. Some of this I know and some of it I don't. At Night, All Blood is Black by David Diop, D-I-O-P. The next one is actually also on my, what I'd like to get to the rest of the summer, Land of Big Numbers by Ping Chen, which is short stories about contemporary China. Empire of Pain by Patrick Radden Keefe. I want to read that, but no, yeah, that's the one about the opioid crisis, right? 
Yeah, I can't read it now because I just, with the radium girls and big companies poisoning people and getting away with it, I was like, I maybe in the fall, but I do want to read that. Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, which I've seen all over the place. When We Cease to Understand the World by Benjamin Labatut. I don't know if I'm saying that right. L-A-B-A-T-U-T. Under a White Sky, The Nature of the Future by Elizabeth Colbert. Things We Lost to the Water, Eric Wynn. Leave the World Behind, Ruman Alam. Clara and the Sun, Kazuo Ishiguro. The Sweetness of Water by Nathan Harris. And Intimacies by Katie Kitamura. That's actually on my list. So what did you think of this list? Well, I have to be honest. I, you know, again, I didn't, we didn't know we were going to be talking about it. So I didn't research the ones I haven't heard of. I, this sounds typical of him. Like it's very well-rounded. He's got some sort of... Big books. Big books. He's got some fiction. He's got some, you know, books about issues. Yeah. Sounds pretty typical. I have been hearing a lot about Andy Weir's new book, Project Hail Mary. He wrote The Martian which I think I listened to that on audio and I really enjoyed it. His second book, and I can't think of the name, it may have been like Project Artemis or it was something like that. The premise seemed like a little bit too weird for me. Like sometimes I just don't like anything that's really strange. I mean, the guy stuck on Mars and trying to get back and how he survived, that was probably my limit. But this sounds really interesting. I might want to read this one too. Yeah, I've seen it all over the place. And I do want to read... Clara and the Sun. I like Kasuo Ishiguro. So anyway, yeah, that's the Barack Obama summer reading list. And we will link to that. Yeah. He's got an overbooked club selection, The Sweetness of Water. Intimacies by Katie Kitamura. I will talk about a little bit later in the show because it's one of the books I want to get to this summer. So that's what we're going to be. That's the topic of our show today in our wanderings over the summer. What are the books that are really, we had our preview list and summer, I guess, is we're a month in. So what do you really want to read? Well, I actually bought a book over the weekend. Always want to hear about those. Yeah. So I was traveling for work. I was in San Diego and it was like seven in the morning. I was flying back home. I was in the San Diego airport and I found a bookstore. And I kind of wandered in as one does. And it was honestly the best airport bookstore I've ever been in. It had such an amazing selection. It was all stuff I was curious about and interested in. It had a big shelf. It wasn't one of those like Hudson News things with one little like narrow wall of paper of like bestsellers. It was a great bookstore. It's called Warwick's of La Jolla. So I guess, although it's interesting when I bought the book, the bag and the receipts said Hudson News. So it must be that they have some arrangement with the chain Hudson News that they're operating and stocking the bookstore in um, the airport. But it was great. Right before we all went on lockdown, I had noticed that they have really been expanding airport bookstores. And like the selection, even if you get one where there's maybe two or three shelves, like the selection, like I've been really surprised. So I just want to say that. Yeah. Well, this one was just great. I mean, I could have spent a lot of time and money in there, but instead I just grabbed the one that I was excited about. It's called The Paper Palace. And I've been seeing this book everywhere and it's very much up my alley. It's by Miranda Cowley Heller. And it's about a woman, middle-aged woman who is at the Cape. I think she's at the Cape. It likes her beach house, which is called The Paper Palace. And I think it's kind of like this ramshackle house. 
And she's there with her husband and another couple. And then I think in the middle of this you know, weekend that they're having, she ends up sleeping with the husband of the other couple who's there, who's like a very old friend of hers. So she's at this crossroads. Like, does she stay with her marriage? Is she in love with this other man? What's the story? But I've been hearing about this book forever. Oh, and I think it's now a Reese book. So it's, you know, going to explode and be all over the place. But that is probably my number one book that I want to get to. And I was going to start it last night, but I do have it on audio. Well, I may just wait until I finish my current audio, which is Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid, and then see try it on audio and see how I like it. And if I don't like it on audio, I'll just read it in print. But if I like it in audio, I'll do, I'll do the audio for that. So Malibu Rising, I know we've talked to you. I think that you like her earlier books. Taylor Jenkins Reid, are you finding that holds true? This one, and I can, I'll wait till it's done before I give a full review. It's okay. Like it's definitely keeping my attention, but I just, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. There's a lot of characters and it's very much of an era. It takes place in like 1983 or 1982 in Malibu. And she throws a lot of names around like celebrities at the time. And it just, I don't know, this is awful to say. It seems kind of silly. The whole thing just seems kind of silly. I like the relationship between the siblings and stuff, but just some of the stuff that's going on, I'm just kind of like, why do I care about this? I don't know. I really am definitely an old school Taylor Jenkins Reid person. We've talked about this a million times, but I'm in the minority on this. People love this book. Do you think you're going to read it? Probably not. Because I know you read (laughs) Evelyn and Daisy Jones. I read Daisy Jones. Oh, you didn't read Evelyn. Yeah. Yeah. Daisy Jones was my sole experience with her and I listened to it, which I think made it different. Like, I don't know if I would have liked it in print, but you know, I think Benjamin Bratt read it and I forget who the female narrator, but it was a cast. It was an experience. Her premises just don't do it for me. Like I'm not big, anything that's like old school Hollywood. I'm kind of like, yeah. I know. And I have to say the fact that the the storyline on this one did not appeal to me at all. So I was like, why am I going to read this? But I ended up enjoying the first half is a lot of backstory. And the second half is about this party that this epic party that happens. And I liked the backstory part, the party part for me, I don't like as much, but anyway, let's get what we're looking for next. And then when I finish Malibu rising, I'll give it a full review on the show. So, you know, this is thriller summer for me. So I'm not going to disappoint in terms of everything that I pick is mostly going to be thrillers. I've been seeing this one by Samantha Downing, like on some lists. It's going to be a series on HBO Max. It's called For Your Own Good. And it is about, I might use this one for my dark school experience prompt on the Pop Sugar Reading Challenge. So it is about this teacher of the year. He's won prestigious awards and he teaches at this really Tony upscale Belmont Academy, which is the home to the best and the brightest students. His wife is really proud of him, but no one has seen her in a while. And like there are these mysterious deaths that are taking place on campus. Like there's a student who's also looking into Teddy's personal life and how he's focused on pushing kids to their full academic potential. I don't know. I think he's one of those characters. It's supposed to be, it's called Slick and Chilling Thriller, leading readers on a dark, sinuous journey through the halls of Belmont Academy, the type of place where you're never sure who to trust or who to fear. So it seems like, you know, it's right up my thriller alley and uh, it's coming out in July, which is now July. So July 20th. Okay. So my next one that I'm looking forward to reading is Dear Miss Metropolitan. 
And this is a really dark book that I have also seen around a lot. And I've had this in the house for a while. It's by Carolyn Farrell. And this is a book about, God, talk about dark. And you would hate this one because of the premise, but it's about three women who are locked in a house by, you know, a man for like, I don't even know, because I haven't read the book yet, but I think it's something like 15 years or something. And then they're finally discovered. They finally escape. And so I think it's their story both before and after they were in, held in this captivity. It's based on that case in, I want to say Cleveland, where that man had held three women captive for a really long time and father's children with them. And so it's about just these three women's stories and I've kind of flipped through it and it seems to just have a very like original writing style. Like it looks very creative and different. And Miss Metropolitan is an advice columnist in, and I forgot where this takes place, New York or something. And she's an advice columnist who lives across the street. Miss Metropolitan is her, is the name of her column. And she lives across the street and she, you know, didn't know for all these years that this was happening. And I think she is part of the story and talks about it. So super dark. There's not a light summer read, but I have it in the house and I really want to read it. Yeah. I'll have to see what you say about that. I'm always interested in books that explore how people adjust after. I hate the captivity part. I know. You'll have to let me know. Yeah. What is it called when you have a book that's similar? Equivalence? A comp. A comp. The comp is uh, Room, of course. All right. So my next one is a book... I read the author's first novel, Tangerine, and this one is called Palace of the Drown. It came out on June 1st, Christine Mangan. So this one is about, it's set in 1966. So I guess at this point, that's historical fiction. What is historical fiction? 30 years or 40? Yeah, I was wondering about that because I read something in the 50s and I was like, is that historical fiction? That's historical fiction. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so we won't think about that. <laughs> What's historical fiction? So 1966 is now historical fiction. Frankie Croy is going to stay in her friend's vacant palazzo in Venice. She was a successful author. Like she spent all these years trying to live up to the success of her first novel. So after her most recent book doesn't receive good reviews, she has a public breakdown and she decides to, you know, just to go and try to get her thoughts together, process things. So she's living this solitary life out in Venice. And then this woman appears and she's like young and she's an admirer and she wants to make friends and kind of like become a part of her life. But Frankie has her doubts about the woman. She's not sure how much that she tells her is true. And it seems like both of their lives are going to be affected when there is catastrophe that happens. Like there's a flood in Venice and it just like ravishes the city. So that's the backdrop of this. And of course the mystery is like, what is young Gilly up to or Jilly? I like the cover of that book. It's atmospheric. It doesn't have like raindrops on it and sort of smudged. Yeah. It's not very clear. I don't think there are raindrops, but it's like this woman who's walking. She has on a nice outfit, (laughs) (laughs) nice purse. And this man is kind of looking back at her and you see like the bridges, the bridge overlooking one of the canals in Venice in the background. Paula McLean said it was voluptuously atmospheric and sure-footed at every turn. I don't know what that means, but sure-footed at every turn. So there you go. It's one of those like review expressions that doesn't really mean anything. Right. <laughs> like, did you like it though? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> sure-footed. 
Okay. So my next one was my book of the month pick. It's called We Are the Brennans by Tracy Lang. It actually doesn't come out till August 3rd, but if you are book of the month and you picked it for July, then you have it already. Do you know, I forgot to pick a book. What happens if you forget? Do they just skip? I don't know. Probably. I mean, I don't think they just send you something. (laughs) Based on your previous selections, we think (laughs) you will like. It's not like HelloFresh. That happens to me sometimes. I forget. Oh, it looks like I can still get one if I want. Oh, you could get this one. With HelloFresh, if you forget to like go in and change it, they just send you like two that are in your cart and it's always stuff that I don't want. So I try to remember to do that. Even though it was in your cart? Not in my cart. It's like the two that were the, they're sort of the default ones that are there when you go to pick your meals. Oh, okay. What you have to do is unselect those two and then select all the ones you want. And so if you don't do it in time, they're going to send you the default ones. See, this is a show I want to have with you just to discuss it. It would not be book related. But if we talk about experiences that we have in popular things like this, like you went with HelloFresh as opposed to what's the other Blue Apron. Have you tried both of them? Yes. And I can talk about these at length. I have a new one coming tomorrow just to try it. Oh. Because I've been doing HelloFresh for a long time. And during the pandemic, I've made a lot of HelloFresh. I'm just a little sick of it. So Tomorrow, I have one coming. It's called Martha Stewart and Marley Spoon. I've heard of that. Yeah. So I'm curious to see whether they take less time because HelloFresh is very time consuming for no reason. Yeah. I found when I tried, and we're not going to go too much beyond this because like I said, we (laughs) can record a whole show of this. And if people are interested, they can take a listen. (laughs) I'm just like so interested in people's opinions about these things. I felt like Blue Apron I think I tried them once and I cook. So I know that a lot of these boxes to make it simple for people who are not necessarily cooks to make things. And I just found it so time consuming what I was making. And it was like, I could kind of do this by myself and take much less time to do it. I think Blue Apron is the most time consuming of them all and super like tedious. I mean, the food was good. The meals were really good, but oh my God, I'd never had time for Blue Apron. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Blue Apron's like an hour minimum. Yeah. And they're just like 20 minutes. I'm like, are you kidding? Yeah. And then I know. Blue Apron too, I think sometimes like the cooking times they would give you, like, I'd be like, this is like a lot of time for this. And then it'll come out kind of mushy. Yeah. Well, HelloFresh would be like prep time, five minutes. And then you realize the prep time entails you know, mincing garlic and chopping, dicing onion. And then you have to, you know, peel a bunch of carrots and spiral them or whatever. And I'm like, this is not five minutes. The prep for me alone is 15 minutes and they already I'm behind. So I don't know that the Martha Stewart one is coming tomorrow. So we'll see. I'm just intrigued. All right. Well, when we have our weird random show where I tell you about things I've ordered off of ads that I've heard on podcasts or just things we've tried. Yeah. That'll be fun. I'm sure there's a lot of things we could talk, especially during the pandemic. There were a lot oh, of yes. random <laughs> things that were coming in the house. Okay. Well, anyway, so back to We Are the Brennans. This was like a no brainer for me because the comps are Ask Again Yes, The Nest. And it's about like, you know, family drama. Now, what if you like one comp, but not the other? I mean, ask again, yes. I was like, all right, it was okay. But I I did like the other one. So this is about a woman who wakes up in an LA hospital, bruised and battered after a drunk driving accident she caused. And it causes her to return home to her family in New York. But she's been gone for five years. She's estranged from her brothers and she left a fiance there. So I think it's going to be one of those. 
I'm excited that I can still order a book because I had just listened to a book by Catherine Ryan Howard and I liked it. And 56 Days is one of one of the books. I think I'm going to get that. All right. So my next one that I'm really looking forward to is A Slow Fire Burning by Paula Hawkins. I liked Girl on the Train. I really liked her second book. I feel like a lot of people didn't like Into the Water because it was really different than Girl on the Train. Like I thought it was just deeply thought out, a much slower paced book. Like there were things going on that you want to know what's going on in this little town, but it did not have like that, that, oh my God, I've got to turn the page accent. It was a lot more nuanced. So this one is about a young guy who is found murdered on a London house boat. And the three women, I guess, who were closest to him come into play, into figuring out how this happened or who might've been responsible. They're each filled with resentment against him. One is like a one night stand who's the last person leaving his house. Another is his aunt who's already mourning the death of another family member. And then there is the nosy neighbor next door who is keeping secrets from the police. So they have to figure out like what is going on if someone's trying to right past wrongs, like is this revenge and who done it is what it is. So I'm really looking forward to that. I want to get to it. It will be at the very end of the summer because it comes out at the end of the summer, August 31st. So the next book for me is not a new release. It's been out for a little while, but I have to read it for my book club and I've had it on my list forever. And it's a library book that's way overdue. And it is called What Could Be Saved. And I think we've talked about this on the show before. It's by Lise O'Halloran Schwartz. And it is about a family that lived in, I think it's in Bangkok. And I think it's a family with three kids, maybe they're expats and the boy disappears. And then it jumps to the present day, actually takes place a lot of it in DC because I have started this. And there's a possibility somebody comes forward that claims that he's the brother who disappeared. And so you're you sort of, I think you get the flashbacks to the expat life and then the current day and then trying to figure out, is this the brother and what happened to him? Moving on. If I remember it, I will mention it on another show. Okay. Next year. But that sounds good. I mean, I love anything that's set in Bangkok. I love Thailand. I started this and then I just ended up putting it down for some reason. I don't remember why. Maybe just mood reading and it wasn't hitting the spot at that particular time. But I need to read this for my book club. And I really do at some point need to return this library book. Yeah, so Washington, D.C., 2019, and Bangkok, 1972. Oh my God, Nicole, speaking of library books. So I had these two books checked out from the Montgomery County Library. And one of them was my last blow-dry read. It was that book called The Heights, which was about the anatomy of a skyscraper. And I knew it was overdue and I finished it, but then I couldn't return it because stupid book blogger issues. But at the end of every month, I always take a bookstagram picture of the books I've read. And so I needed to wait until the end of June to return it so that I could take a picture of it in the stack with the other ones. I checked my library account. They reported it as lost and charged me for $35. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. I checked my account. I'm like, why do I owe $61 in fines? I was like, I don't even think they're doing overdue for fines right now. And you know me, I'm so <laughs> hyper about the library and I always return things like the day they're due. But with the pandemic and they got rid of fines, I've been much more laissez-faire about this. 
So I immediately returned it. I took the picture like a couple of days early and like, whatever, I'm just taking this picture now and returned it. And the fine is gone now. But I was like, I can't believe I have had books that long that they were reported missing. Oh my gosh. So it was more than one reported missing. There was a second one that I had had in the house for a while as well. I've had this now for like several months. I'm clearly not going to read it. And I just returned it. But oh my God, I was horrified. I was like, that's not me. That's not how I am. Okay, your turn. I've been so bad with book club. Like I have not been attending in-person book club. I just could not do more Zoom calls. And then there was finally one last month, but it was in Brooklyn. It was like, I can't go to Brooklyn. Just choosing it based on where people live, the proximity. This one is going to be in the East Village. So, and I like the book or I've heard of the book and I think I want to read it called Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. Oh yeah. Yes. I've seen this everywhere. Yeah. So they say it's an exquisite story of family, food, grief, and endurance. This is about a young Asian American woman who grows up in Eugene, Oregon, and she has to deal with, you know, just painful adolescence, the kids in her school struggling because her mom has really high expectations of her. So when she grows up, she goes to the East Coast for college. And I guess she starts working in restaurants and performing at gigs, you know, as one does when you're in a band. And she meets the man who is later going to become her husband. But while she's kind of taking this time going through her process growing up, she finds out that her mom is has terminal cancer. So, and that happens, I think, when she's 25. And it just like forces her to really have a reckoning with her identity and, you know, how she grew up and just how everything that went into her upbringing influenced the person that she became. So it sounds really good. Yeah. I've seen that book everywhere. It says it's an unflinching, powerful memoir about growing up Korean American, losing your mother and forging your own identity. So that is crying in H Mart. I'm going to get that in the house because I'm going to need to read it. Okay. So my next book is called God Spare the Girls, and it is by Kelsey McKinney. And it is a book about two sisters growing up, I believe in Texas, and they have a sort of a, an evangelical father. And he is, you know, very vocal about girls, like saving themselves from marriage. I mean, it's a very sort of traditional Christian view. And it's about these two sisters who discover secrets about their family and secrets about their father and how they respond and react to it. I have not read this. I just got this from the library and I have been hearing about this book on a lot of different podcasts and I really want to read it. It kind of reminds me of the book of Essie, which I read a couple summers ago and really liked. Kind of about that, like, you know, exposing the reality of this sort of extreme religion and also coming of age. Two good ones. Yep. So next up on my list is Such a Quiet Place by Megan Miranda. Now, Megan Miranda wrote this YA novel that I loved called Fracture. And I read her first adult novel when it came out. And I was kind of, eh, it was like, not that great, I didn't think. So she's written a couple since then. So this is her book that she has out this summer. And I kind of wanted to pick up the other, I think the one that was out last summer. It looks like she's shaping up to be a one a year thriller type person. So this one is a locked room 
mystery, but it's set in this community called Hollow's Edge. And it's like, you know, sleepy little bedroom community. Everyone knows each other. People leave their doors open. They celebrate together. They have holiday parties together. It's just like a kind of open community. But then there, these two murders happen. And, you know, people having trouble selling their houses. Everyone feels really trapped and claustrophobic. And it turns out that someone who lived in the community was responsible for the murders. But then her conviction is overturned. And she moves back into the neighborhood with this woman called Harper Nash. You know, the woman's name is Ruby, who moves back. And she's the one who was accused of the crime and gets off. So Harper knows that she doesn't have anywhere to go. She's always kind of treated her as a younger sister, doesn't want to turn her away, but at the same time does not feel comfortable having her back in the house. And then she starts getting like these threatening notes So she knows she has to figure out who is responsible, who is truly responsible for these crimes before something else happens. So I'm hoping that this is really good. If it is, then I'm going to go back and read The Last Guest House, which I think was also a Reese book. She has all the thrillers. And I've read so many of them, like with my friend, the one that we just finished. And I guess this woman, Megan Miranda, her last book was The Last House Guest. So I was like getting confused. You know, and a lot of these thrillers have the same kind of like blocky text font. Like their covers look similar. It's hard to keep them apart. All right. So my last one is actually one of the ones from Barack Obama's list. And it is called Land of Bink Numbers by Tipping Chen. And these are short stories all about life in contemporary China. And she is a Chinese American journalist who was born in the U.S., but she has spent more time living in China than anywhere else. And she's written about living there. And I guess it's a real combination of, there's a lot of realistic stories in here and there's some with magical realism and it just kind of attempting to capture what she calls sort of the absurdity of living in China. And I've actually had this, I swapped for this book many, many months ago and I've kind of just stuck it on the shelf. But now as it's been getting a lot more attention because it's pub date is, let's see, Oh, actually it came out in February. I don't know why I'm seeing it more recently. It seems like it was kind of a, maybe a little bit of a sleeper. Maybe the Barack Obama lens being on it has given it a little bit of um, a surge, but I'm kind of fascinated by China. I'm not always a big short story fan, but I'm fascinated by China. So I want to give this one a try. Maybe this will be a good vacation read because like you can read, you know, one story at a time on the plane or whatever. You don't have to, you know, do it all in one sitting. I also feel like it's easier for me to read short stories that are about a different culture just because like you do get those bite-sized glimpses that you can consider and think about and learn more about it. So I'm very curious to see what you think of it. So maybe I'll read that as well. So my last book is also a book that is on Barack Obama's list. It comes out July 20th. So I guess he got an ARC. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens when you're Barack Obama. We've been sending him books, hoping that the list will be made. I know one of the publicists who worked on Ruman Alam's book, and they're just, you know, I saw on Instagram yesterday that the book had made the list because I saw them posting congratulations to him and, you know, to each, everyone's super excited about this. Katie Kitamura, I actually read her first book and I liked it. It was weird. It was so weird. So I'm expecting more from her. It was called A Separation. It was this woman who went to look for her missing husband in Greece, but there's questions about whether he was really missing and what was going on in Greece. Kind of strange, but I really liked her writing. So this one is called The Intricacies, and it is about this woman who is just kind of like 
She's an interpreter. She's fed up with living in New York. So she goes to the Hay to work at the international court. And she just like gets involved in all of these different things. Like she's got all this drama going on. Like her lover is not divorced from his wife, but he's separated. But like, he's still really entangled with her life. One of her friends witnesses what's supposed to have been like a random act of violence. And the interpreter attaches herself to this crime, becomes obsessed with solving it. Like she befriends the victim's sister. And then she's also pulled into this controversy at work. Like she's asked to interpret for the former president of a country and he is accused of war crime. So she has all of this stuff going on and it just talks about how she might reach her breaking point. And she's trying to come to a decision about where she belongs. Like they point out that she speaks so many languages, like she's had so many different experiences. So she's looking to carve out a place that she can call home and just all of the stuff that she's involved with is kind of pushing her to make that decision. I think you misspoke. It's actually called intimacies, not intricacies, just in case anyone's looking for that. Yeah. Okay. I have had a separation on my shelf for a very long time I know. and <laughs> keep wanting to read it. <laughs> Do you think you'll read it? At some point. Sure. <laughs> you haven't even left <laughs> at some point. At some point, I'm not going to commit to a date, but yeah, I'd love to. In the distant future, she's going to read, she's going to sit down and read Katie Kitamura's backlog, of which this will be a part by then. Yes, for sure. Okay. That's a busy summer we have ahead of us in terms of reading. That's exciting. All right. So bear with us, guys. Um, we'll be back when we can. We will record another show before vacation hopefully escape hither and yon but we will be recording but we just may be a little more inconsistent just balancing lots of schedules and places and craziness but you know that's all good because this time last year we were not doing any of this type of travel yeah i had done a few solo shows and i had retreated into my shell <laughs> yeah so at least we're recording that's right good. yeah yes so until we meet again happy reading we hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.